Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid for the first time in 2020. Happy New Year everyone. Well, uh, thank you for coming back and joining us again. Uh, I'm Chris still and I'm still joined by Tom. Hello. And I'm still joined by Stu. Hello. Did we have a nice little break, everybody? Yeah, it's been yeah. it's been a bit dull without motorsport, though. It has really. <laughs> did did yeah, anyone get any um, motorsport-related Christmas gifts to tide them over? Ooh, no, I did not. <laughs> no, I'm guessing it's you did. Of that I'm question. Assuming. Oh wait, wait, wait! Glad yeah, I, I asked. I, got, I, I got a Lego. I did get a Lego um, uh, thing. A Lego. Corvette, which I'm not a Corvette guy, but it's close enough. <laughs> it's a car. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I did. I got um, Nick Fry's book about uh, the the Braun GP year. Um, oh, which is, really? Yeah, I'm only about a quarter way through so far, but it is very, very interesting. I highly recommend it. If you could describe it in one word, what would your one word review of the book be so far? Um, it would be, oh, you put me on the spot there. What's like a cool review word? Um, um, <laughs> it's going on the poster, Chris. So, Oh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, compelling? Compelling? Compelling. Compelling's good, yeah. It is <laughs> very compelling, actually. That's a really good word for it. Did you know, for example, that um, Bernie Eccleston tried to buy the team off them in the very early days? <gasps> wow, no, I didn't know that. See? Compelling. I'm compelled. You're compelled, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so New Year, um, we're going to start it by looking back at the previous year. Um, we're going to do, as we always do, a few um, awards for the season gone by. Um, some of the more prestigious awards in motorsport as always. Um, we'll also do a little bit of news, what little bit of news has happened over the break. Um, and we've got some inbox from you lovely people, so we'll get there as well. Uh, but let's get right into it. Um, are we going to start with what actually might be the hardest award to give out? And that is Rookie of the Year, which we've sort of talked about on and off throughout the season about how hard this has been to judge, but we've reached the point where we actually have to judge it. Um, yeah. So obviously we've got Lando Norris, George Russell, Alex Albon. Do we want to include Giovinazzi in this conversation as well? Um, technically, he did two races in 2017, but we didn't really include him that season because he'd only done two races. So You can include him, but he's not going to get into any of the tops. So. <laughs> that is yeah. true, actually. We could have this discussion all day, but he's not going to win, is he? Yeah, he's included. It's just whether you want to place it. I mean, he's co- comprehensively going to be fourth, I think. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. I mean, we're only four, here to pick but... one, so... Yeah. Um, or are we, are we ranking? Are, what are, we doing? Are, we, are we ranking them or are we putting them... Are we picking one? I think we just need to pick one. Oof, okay. But in order to do that, we need to assess each individual anyway, so... I'm going to rank them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> in that case, then, let's start with Lando. Oh, boy, Lando. Boy, Lando. Um... Yeah, so he's he's got a good teammate, Carlos Sainz, very very uh, 
accomplished teammate, especially this season, um, in a car that was the best, was ab- absolutely the best of the rest at the end. Yeah. Um, where did he finish in the season? What was his final place? He finished in eleventh place on forty-nine points. Yes. So he's not the highest placing rookie in the championship. That would go to Albon, I would assume. It would yeah. Indeed. Um, and Russell obviously didn't get a point, so he was down. Oh, that makes the Giovinazzi Russell conversation quite interesting, I suppose. <laughs> um, rookie of the year. He's up there. He's definitely up there. He had a heck of a season. He out-qualified his teammate, I think, didn't he, on more occasions than not. Yeah, yeah, I think he had them the better results on the Saturday, but obviously signs fairly handily outdid him on um, Sundays. I think thinking back over Norris's season, for me, I think he had a lot of very good races. Um, he got that car in places. It probably shouldn't have been, you know, like... We're thinking about him like dicing with multiple world champions on the first lap in Austria and stuff like that. Um, got a few best of the rests. I think he also had a number of forgettable races. Um, there are a number of races where Steins very much outdid him. And, you know, ultimately you can only be directly compared to your teammate, right? Yeah. Yeah. That- that then makes the Albon discussion hard, though, as well, because he, yes. I think he did very, very well, especially being put into that Red Bull halfway through the season. But it's it's a difficult... Then again, there was a lot of the time where Max was making mistakes and Albon was kind of capitalising, wasn't he? So, And he was putting the car where it should have been, which was the thing Gasly wasn't doing in the first half of the season. So I think as good as a season Russell had in terms of being in the car he was and doing the best he could with that it's for me it's between Norris and Albon but it's it's very close to call because they've they've got different seasons for different reasons I guess because of the nature of the teams that they were in that's a nice rhyme yeah that's a great (laughs) rhyme great I'm glad that didn't go unnoticed Chris I'm glad you spotted that as well um Um, so Albon, yeah, his his the, the times that he did beat when he first joined Red Bull, Verstappen did go on a run of like really dodgy races, and you know it was a couple where he started from the back. There were a couple where he retired, and yeah, Albon was you know sticking it in fifth, and yeah, absolutely he was put. I agree, he was putting it in the right place, putting it where it should be. Um, it is hard between him and Norris. It, it's it's a very very difficult choice. Russell as well. You know, Russell absolutely rinsed his teammate all season. He was never yeah. really much more than a second. He was always at least a second faster. Than, he was never much lower than a second faster than his teammate at any given point throughout the entire season. So that's granted. You know, Qubits are maybe not the. Um, most reliable yardstick um, in modern Formula One to measure to measure Russell against, but still to I think for him to be beating a teammate of such experience still speaks volumes about Russell's talent. So of the three, yeah, of the three there, Norris Russell Albon, I, I think it's really really close. I think it's really really tight. I think given if they were if the three of them were put in equally matched machinery, they'd be very 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 close together. Yeah. Russell's just near impossible to 
judge this year, isn't he? Like he's the situation he was in made it almost impossible to really rank him. Like he's only really racing his teammate. His teammate has been out of the sport for years, and he's. I think most people would agree he's not the driver he was when he was last in the sport. Um, yeah, I think this next season is going to give us a better idea of where Russell is than the yeah. season gone. Well, I I think, you know, when you're saying, like, if you put three of them in equal machinery, they'd be pretty close together. I think 2018's F2 standings probably shows that as well because they were the yeah. top three from F2 this exactly, season before yeah. last. So yeah, and there wasn't a lot in it either. There the wasn't a lot in it, no. And weirdly, I think Lando only won two races or something like that, and the others picked up more wins than him. It was So he had the consistency, whereas the others had, like, a few out and out wins that he didn't have, so it was it, it was like an interesting co- yeah. combination between the three of them. Um, and I, I'm hoping that they are on a slightly closer playing field next season or this season. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, but we're not here to talk about next season. We need to pick a a uh, rookie of the year for this season, don't we? I, I think because of having to step into the Red Bull and deal with the the high-end pressures that come with that that broke Pierre Gasly. Um, I think I'd probably give it to Albon for that reason, personally. I think that's yeah. where I'm landing as well. As I say, we talked about this on and off through the whole season, and the first half of the year, I was very much thinking, how are we going to judge Norris and Russell against each other? Because that's who it's going to be between. But the way Albon handled that move out of the blue into the big team and the performances he put in there. Mm. I, I really think it's going to be him for me as well. Yeah, he, he, well, he proved me wrong. I, I said, I remember mm. saying, I went on record on here and said, I think it's a massive mistake. And I, was, I could not have been more wrong. He was yeah. absolutely I don't, on point. I don't think anyone expected him to do as well as he did. No. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a pleasant surprise, at least. Yeah, very <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was. He was robbed. He was robbed of a podium in his rookie season. Exactly, yeah. Alexander Albon, no mean feat. Okay, I can go with that. I can give it to Albon for that cool. reason. We're in agreement. Our first yeah. word of the day, Alex Albon, rookie. Yeah. Shall we just um, really quickly rank the other three against it, just to see, just just to just so I can commit to my ranking? Um, <laughs> um... I mean, well, it's probably going to be Albon, Norris, Russell, Giovinazzi, I think, for me. I th- yeah, I think that's where I'd go. I don't think Giovinazzi had that bad of a year towards the end, but he was just, like, non-existent, I guess is, yeah, is a word for him for quite a while. You kind of forgot he was there for, for a huge chunk of the season, but then he sort, of, he sort of came back into it a little bit and you started to notice him more, so... It wasn't necessarily a bad season, but when he's been put up against those other three, I think that yeah, it's um, it's not the best season for him. And Giovinazzi's racing again. You remember Giovinazzi's racing against a world champion as well. Yeah, Let, yeah exactly. Not that. I yeah. think um, the Belgian Grand Prix kind of summed up his season. Actually, it was like putting a really decent drive, like made some overtakes, had moments of brilliance, and then binned it on the last lap. Like yeah. he's, he's, he did a lot of things right, but then couldn't quite put the full package together. And I think that's kind of summed up his first season. Um, I am glad he's got a second season, though. Um, 
he's going to need to step things up a bit next year, but I'm glad he's there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's can... a bit of a make or break season for him, I'd say. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think if he can carry on the trajectory that he he sort of seemed to get on towards the end of season just finished, I think he'll be all right. But out of, sadly, out of the four of them, he is probably the lowest one. So yeah, well you got to you got to think you got Young Schumacher chomping at the heels of that drive because he's the Ferrari mm, Academy definitely. driver, isn't he? So yeah, if if he doesn't do something this year, if he doesn't Cal- show. Callum Eilat's above him though as well. We've got to remember Callum Eilat's in the Ferrari camp. Yeah. And- He's in a better position to take that seat next. So, like, they're not short of a couple of options if they do decide they want. Like, if Kimmy decides enough's enough, or you know, they decide that they've given Giovinazzi enough chances and they they don't think they can go any further with him, they've got one or two coming through that are all part of that system. You got Giuliano Lacey stepping up to F two as well now. Yeah, we could have a mini. Nigel Mansell driving for Ferrari in the uh, Callum Islet, couldn't we? He was the last <laughs> yeah. driver for Ferrari, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't think you don't really think of British drivers as Ferrari drivers, do you, oddly? Do, do you find that, that? Yeah, it's probably because they're such a strongly Italian heritage team, like they go they go for Italian Frenchmen, like I don't know. I think I think there's a certain um, simple nature about a British driver that the Italians probably don't <laughs> like. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like they like yeah. the flair and the pizzazz and stuff, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think we're just too straightforward and straight talking for them. Which is which is surprising. Why Raikkonen's in there? To be fair, <laughs> bangers and mash probably don't cut it in uh, Marinello. But... <laughs> Um, let's move on to the next award. Um, this is one we don't need to uh, do anything for. You'll be pleased to know. Um, as you know, we give out three awards for every race for you. So I've been through the last uh, year of episodes and totaled up the awards. So we're going to do the most move of the day awards next. Um, would you like to hazard a guess as to who we gave the most move of the day awards to? Um, Max Verstappen. Okay, uh, I'm going to go Carlos Sainz. Would you believe that Max Verstappen did not get the Move of the Day award from us once all last season? What? Because half of the ones he did were probably controversial to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it shows, it shows how often I listen back to these after we've <laughs> uh, Did you say Sainz, Tom? I did. He was second. He got oh, three. That's a um, good guess, though. Clear winner, though, with five. He's actually Lando Norris. Oh, oh. I went with the wrong orange car. I had a feeling <laughs> it would be one of them because every other replay through the season felt like it was one of them fighting their way through the field. <laughs> yeah, pretty so. much. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, who this award is basically named for, um, got two <laughs> along with... Uh, Leclerc, Albon, and Kvyat picked up two Move of the Day awards. Um, then Vettel, Raikkonen, Hulkenberg, Gasly, and Hamilton all got one apiece. It just shows you how short my memory is, you know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm really embarrassed about that. <laughs> Going back and listening over some of these podcasts to get these uh, these stats, there's so much I forgot that happened this season. You have had a busy day, Chris, sorting all this out. I'm fair play to you, mate. Do you know what, though? After the first few, I got into a space where I could basically like click on the um, the time bar in Spotify 
at the point I thought the awards would be, and sort of eighty <laughs> percent of the time I'd be like in the middle of the awards just from clicking <laughs> once on the timer. Chris, are you are you saying that this podcast's formulaic? Is that what you're saying? I, I would never say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Daniel Ricardo, this award is named for him. It's the Daniel Ricardo Award for Overtake of the Season. Um, there's been quite a lot to choose from this year. So, do any of you have some favourites you'd like to throw in there? I have. I have one. Mm-hmm. One favourite. Oh. That's good. Um, there were. It was. It, this was a Max Verstappen one. It was for the lead in Austria against Charles Ooh. Leclerc. It was, it was a controversial one, but yeah, it was one of the controversial ones. <laughs> I, I, I watched it. I, I was in preparation for this. I watched a few of the overtaking videos and bits and bobs on the internet. And uh, looking back on it, you know what? It's not anything like as bad as what it seemed when we when we uh, <laughs> when, when we, we spent forty five minutes talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just it's such a small. I don't. I can't remember what I said about it at the time. <laughs> I just feel like, vindicated. Really, really, I think really, I defended really, him at the time, so I feel vindicated <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. I think I can't. Well, I'll have to, we'll have to go back and listen to what I said. But um, <laughs> uh, looking back at it now, I don't think it was that bad at all. I think he had four wheels alongside the the car, and it was a cracking move it was really it was for the lead he got his elbows out did what needed to be done and got the win so for me that that's a that was that one's got to be up there i think for overtake of the season has anyone got any other nominations yeah well with me saying signs for the my guess of most moves one of his was probably my nomination for this which is why his name was in my head for the most moves award as well but it's the one that he pulled off at brazil and it was into turn one and turn two. I'm not sure which of the Force Indies it's on, to be totally honest. It, it might be was Perez, Perez, I think. Perez, yes, it, it was Perez, yeah, it was Perez. It was like a, just a really late, deep dive down the inside, and yeah. it was proper, like, on the limit. Um, and per- Perez, like, had mm. to comply. It, it, like, he put himself in that <laughs> yeah. position of comply or both our races are over, but it was <laughs> just such a ballsy move. And... To make it stick the way he did from so far back, it was very Ricardo esque. The the whole sort of very late, like straight for the apex. I'm taking the inside line from you. Um, yeah, that that was probably one of my favourites for for this year. Comply or die. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was actually the one that I had in mind as well. Um, I was going to mention two signs ones actually. The other one I wanted to mention was his last lap move in uh, Abu Dhabi but that was more for what it meant rather than the move itself I think yeah. Yeah. whereas that one on Perez in Brazil was it was just everything you wanted to overtake it was super late dive down the inside it was crazy late on the brakes wheel to wheel all the while through like one of the best corners in the world to overtake someone on yeah um, yeah that was that was my pick as well to give us a third one, just so just for value for money, um, the the can you remember Norris's move at the start of the race in um, I think it was Bahrain, where he was almost two wheels off the almost four wheels off the track, but he managed to go around the outside of from yes. really far back into yeah, like yes. In fact, four. we gave that move of the day for Bahrain. It was um, Gasly. He was passing. Yeah, that mm. was a hell of a move. That one as well. That was like video game move. Really good. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm definitely going signs though. Signs is getting my vote. That was my original suggestion, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can go cool. with that as well. I can go with that. 
democracy. Uh, cool. Congratulations to Carlos. Democracy Heinz. wins for a change. <laughs> um, next, uh, the WTF award that we give out every race. Um, this one's a hard one to round up because we give them for all kinds of stuff. Um, but there is there is one that stands out as the the place that the most of them have gone for the season. Would you like to hazard a guess where that is? Um, Probably Vettel failing at various points through this. It's Ferrari. <laughs> Ferrari have had loads. Any advance on that, Tom? Um, I want to say something like pit stops, just pit stops in general. I know that's a bit vague, but I feel like we were talking a lot about people getting pit stops wrong. Yeah, I don't, know, are... I, don't, I don't know if you've quantified it like that. So There were a couple of pit stop related ones. Um, Haas cropped up a few times like that. Um, Ferrari got a few for various things, uh, but the most that you could attribute to one person was indeed Sebastian Vettel, unfortunately. <laughs> um, specifically for his spinning Bahrain um, driving back onto the track in front of Stroll in Italy and then taking out himself and Leclerc in Brazil. They were the, the standout ones for him. It was the Canada moment as well where he went across, um, across yeah, the Yeah, we didn't actually give him that for Canada, but it was definitely in the, uh, in the conversation. In the conversation, yeah. So appropriately, um, Seb is winning his own award there. For... <laughs> well, he got the most of them anyway. Well done, Seb. Well done, mate. Better luck next year. <laughs> Well done. Well done. We'll go for well done. <laughs> yeah, try harder. <laughs> um, which then brings us on to what I'm calling the W2F moment of the year. Um, I'll go through and read out all the ones we gave out all season and we can uh, pick our favourite as the most yeah. W2F thing that happened all season. So, yeah. I need to uh, write these down. Hang on, let me get them. <laughs> um, Australia, we had Grosjean's Wheelnut. Bahrain, as I mentioned, was Seb Spinning. China, we just gave to Ferrari strategy, which is something that cropped up in the conversation most weeks. <laughs> but China, we gave it to Ferrari strategy. Uh, Azerbaijan, we gave to the pickup truck driving into a bridge and pouring oil over Russell's car. Um, Spain was cleaning up gravel with the leaf blower. Yeah, Monaco, um, Marshall's been sent out on the track in front of cars. Oh, that was terrifying, yeah. Canada, we, we talked a lot in the Canada episode about exactly how to quantify it. And in the end, we just said Haas in general, because they had terrible setup. There were crashes. There was complaining on the radio. There was um, Gunter Steiner having a go at the drivers on the radio. So we just went Haas in general. Um, France was Gorilla Madness. <laughs> if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, Austria, which I'd forgotten about, was Ferrari telling Seb he had finished third when he had actually finished fourth. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um, Britain, Grosjean crashing into the pit wall while in the pit lane. Germany was. Yeah, he crashed in the pit lane. He sort of, I, think he, I can't remember if he's pulling into or out of the garage, but he managed to hit the inside of the pit wall in classic Grosjean style. <laughs> uh, Germany was Mercedes flat cap chaos. Yeah. Hungary was just Bottas being rubbish and going backwards. Yeah. Belgium, McLaren bookending the race with retirements for both their cars. Uh, Italy, as I mentioned, was Seb pulling back on the track in front of people. Singapore, Grosjean for putting Russell in the wall. 
uh, Russia, another good one, uh, Alfa Romeo for getting the front jack stuck under the car and then in trying to get it out of mechanic uh-huh. on his backside. Yeah, that was funny. Yep. Japan was Leclerc going one-handed through 130R while holding his mirror in place and then also being on the radio to tell his team that his car was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the extra bit with the radio. (laughs) That's the real, like, cherry on the 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 real bit there is the line of, yeah, everything's fine, guys. I don't need to come in. Everything's fine. (laughs) This is fine. Uh, Mexico was a selfie skeleton getting rejected by Sebastian Vettel. (laughs) That was weird. Yes. <laughs> USA was the entire life graphics just existing. Oh. oh. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. Brazil, as I mentioned, Seb taking out himself and his teammates. And then we finished in Abu Dhabi with an amazing midfield battle that wasn't on TV at all. Yeah, direction, yeah. Oh. So of okay. all of those... Oh, which wow. One is... Green's gone blank during that. Um, the most WTF thing that's happened all year. Oh, what is so Gotta many. be. There's some really good. I think, like, I don't know. It depends how dark you want to go. Like, the Marshalls in Monaco was properly, properly, properly WTF it, on a serious level. Like, that was a bad yes. loss. Um, I feel like in the, the spirit of this award. Gravel. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's more <laughs> in the spirit of this award. Um, that's the one that made me laugh the most. Um, the one I thought of before we started was the pickup truck crashing into the bridge yeah. in Azerbaijan. That yeah. was just an absolute farce. That involved a sarcastic well done backer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think for me it's got to be between those two. Tom, what do you think of those? Maybe possibly add um, maybe possibly add the selfie Day of the Dead skeleton getting rejected by Vettel just because it tickled me so much personally. And then him trying to get in the picture at the end and Vettel going, no, get out. Like, (laughs) I enjoyed that one. I don't think he's a contender for the winner. He's just a personal favourite, I think, that one. But Mm. probably Leaf Blower. That got the best reaction out of me when Chris was going back to him, I think. Leaf Blower did start. It's between between Leaf Blower and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, just just one calamity after another for that car. That is true WTF. Like, I could not believe what I was seeing. It was mental. (laughs) And then the, the driver of the truck, like, leaning out of the window, being like, What's happened there then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling between the pickup truck and the leaf blower. Yeah, well, the leaf blower gravel is just so funny, though. I, and that one's I'm, making I'll me laugh the most. Lean, yeah, I'll always lean towards comedy. So I, I think let's go leaf blower gravel for me. I can go with that. That works for me. Congratulations to the Spanish Grand Prix for equipping your marshals in a very bizarre fashion. <laughs> Wasn't it the Spanish Grand Prix last year where they spelt something wrong? On the Spanish. No, that's put Spanish on the floor. They put Spanish. That was it. Yeah, it said Spanish. Oh. Didn't that win an award like this from us last year? Spanish. I think it might have done. Yeah. There we go. We're seeing a pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Next up, the Juan Pablo Montoya Award for most likely to succeed after F1. Uh, we oh. had loads of these last year, but it's only actually two drivers moving on this year, and that's Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Robert Kubica. Uh, Kubica, we know what he's doing next year. He's um, joined Alfa Romeo as a sort of, I don't know, test driver, third driver, I guess you'd call him. Yeah. He's actually going to be doing five Fridays next season. Which, 
Yeah, they announced it a day or two ago. I only just found it. Um, which I find interesting because it's not like Alpha are short of an experienced driver. They have they have who will this season become the most experienced driver in F1 history in the shape of Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah. It makes you wonder if um, they're trying to weigh up where he actually sits potentially because it it would be this would be very interesting for me coming up just because of the whole um if he sort of seems decent compared to Kimi and Gio it kind of highlights how good Russell was doing in the Williams to be yeah. ahead of him so often so th- this is quite intriguing for me I guess in that sense as as well as obviously how Russell will do this season but so, that's kind of where I'm keeping my eye on for this He's going to be driving the Alpha, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's... Is he taking Kimmy's seat? Or have they not said anything about that They've yet? They've not said. They've just said yeah. he's doing five um, Friday mornings and potentially a day of the winter testing as well. Yeah. It would be interesting if you had Kimmy's seat so you had a direct comparison to Geo, for example. Yeah. I, I, see gonna, where he is. I guess they would take it in turns as teams normally do with things like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know, next uh, season, as, as the season goes on, we'll find out how close Giovinazzi and um, Kimi Räikkönen are. Because really, by the end of last season, there wasn't an awful lot between them. Once no, Giovinazzi got himself on song, so it's, it was only Giovinazzi's sort of very quiet start to the season that sort of put us off putting him any higher than yeah, fourth in the year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if he can get his eye in early doors, then he, you know, he'll be a good yardstick as well. Um, mm. As for Hawkenberg, no idea where he's going yet. Um, we, we know what he doesn't like because he, he's, he's never uh, short on telling you that. He's always criticised Formula E, said he's not interested in that. Um, he said recently he's not particularly interested in uh, prototype racing, despite the fact that he won Le Mans a few years ago. Um, well, he's been there, done it, hasn't he? So why yeah, can't all that? Yeah. There's a seat going in DTM if Kibitz is not going there now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can see him turning up in DTM. Yeah, I can. Maybe um, Blanchapan or something, some like yeah. sports car, endurance racing or something. People have mentioned yeah. IndyCar, but I can't see him being that interested in oval racing. Uh, although, surprisingly, they do. There. We do IndyCar down. They do go to just as many circuits these days as they do ovals. Yeah, there yeah, is quite true. a lot of street circuits and stuff on the calendar now. Yeah, it's probably yeah. half and half, yeah. But then, you know, if you don't like oval racing, you've got to spend half your season oval racing, so that would be much fun for you, wouldn't it? You spend yeah. half your season miserable. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, as opposed to a whole season miserable in Formula 1, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as for most likely to succeed, I mean, Kubitz is never getting a race seat again, is he? Like, there's... Unless something happens with Kimi or Gio and they can't do a race. Like, Kibitz is not really going to... I can't see him having much more success than being a third driver, really, at this point. Yeah. I think Hulkenberg still has talent. It's just that he's maybe he's maybe not like a, a world elite, like some of the drivers right up at the at the front end of the current F1 grid, but... He's proven his worth by winning things like Le Mans and stuff in the past. So yeah. it's not like he's it's short of talent. It's just that 
he's he's been talented in an era of F1 where we've been a little bit spoiled at times. Yeah. With, a, with the amount of world-class, like, absolutely amazing drivers that we've had over the last 10 years or so that he's had a career in F1, it's no wonder that he's always kind of got overlooked because there's always been someone just that bit better than him. Exactly, and yeah. It's a, it's a shame in a way, but I think that he would probably go on and do well in any other series that he decided to take his hand to. Yeah, I can see him doing it. I can see him in the right series being very successful. He just needs to figure out what that is, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there we go. I guess, Hulkenberg, we're, uh, we're backing you to follow in Montoya's footsteps and be successful <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, next, the Drive of the Day awards that we give out every race. Um, who do you think we gave the most of those to? Mm. I've got a suspicion it might be another McLaren, you know, like <laughs> Sainz, either Sainz or Norris. I just feel like yeah, they did a lot of, lot of overtakes, a lot of best of the rest finishes. So I can just imagine that because our nature with that award is to go for like someone who's putting a solid drive that wasn't just sat at the front, I've got a feeling it's one of the McLarens, but I couldn't decide which. Well, it's actually a tie for first place. <gasps> one of them is a McLaren. It's... Uh... Carlos Sainz. Um, yes. Norris, we only gave one driver of the day to. Really? Yes. That surprises me. How I feel like it might be Verstappen, the other one. Uh, no, Verstappen was also only one. Um, Charles? Also only one. Wow, only one for Leclerc. Yeah, Bottas. not Bottas. No, he got two. <laughs> Your reaction? <laughs> Bottas? Not, surely not Bottas. He got two, he's getting closer. This is good. Is it Hamilton then? No, he got zero. <laughs> we never give it to winners. Really? That's so harsh, isn't it? We never give it to day to <laughs> winners. So many races, races. Races. Wait, how is um, how is Bottas closer? Does that mean it's the Finn and it's Kimmy? <laughs> oh no, I meant closer in terms of he's got two and all the other ones oh, right. got one. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who we gave a lot to. It's not Albon, is it? Albon had a few. It is indeed Alex Albon. Yeah. Uh, he, I'll tell you also, what, he had a stonking second half of the season, that's why. Yep, yeah, him and Sainz got four apiece. Um, in fact, I believe with Albon, we gave him one in his uh, Toro Rosso days. Uh, China, in fact, the third race. Um, and then, yes, yeah, since he moved to Red Bull, he picked up Drive of the Day in Belgium, Russia, and the USA. Uh, and then as for Sainz, he got Drive of the Day in Spain... Austria, Hungary, and Brazil. Of course it was Brazil. Where else is Sainz going to drive of the day? So what we're saying is half of the season's driver of the day awards was between those two, basically. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Red Bull Academy drivers. Yeah? Yeah, of course, actually. I always forget that Sainz started there. Yeah. Um, album being one of the few that's actually still with... Red Bull, yeah. by the way. Um, which brings us on to the big one. Uh, we need to pick a driver of the season. Um, we do. Now, on paper, this should be really difficult. We've got 20 to choose from, of which you could make arguments for quite a lot of them. However, my, I, I had no trouble thinking of one straight away. I won't, I won't say who it is just yet. I'm interested in what you guys say, but I'm I've got what no doubt who mine is. I've yeah, definitely I've got one 
I've got two actually that have sprung to mind straight away, and one of them's a rookie. Ooh, is that Albon the rookie? Um, yes, Albon sprung to mind before my other choice, mm-hmm. but because he's a rookie and because he was given a, because Albon was given a car that is fairly dominant or very dominant in in terms of where it sits in the order of the field. I would give my driver of the year award probably to Carlos Sainz, I want to say. I think he's had a banger. I think he's had a great season. I've been vouching for him all season. I've become a real fan of his as well like, this season. But I, I, it was it was not really anything to me before this season. This year, he's just come on in leaps and bounds and become a real presence in Formula One. And I think he's going to go all the way eventually. I think I could be very happy to go along with that, mainly because... Um... I was I was thinking along the same lines, and I thought, is it is it wrong to be thinking about someone that's like only hit one one podium all season for that kind of award? But then, when you think about the car he's in and what you have to do to get a car like that to that position, it is a absolutely awesome season for him. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I probably agree with Stu on this one. I'm really glad you both said that because you've you've echoed my thoughts completely. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. He's, you were so quiet through that whole thing. I was really <laughs> speaking. Um, no, it's right what you said to you. Like leading up to this season, like you know, I thought he was he seemed to be a decent driver, but and you know, I, th- I think we maybe come across a little fanboyish with the two McLaren guys from time to time, but like, oh yeah. I've become a fan of his because he's been so brilliant this season. Um, like he was best of the rest on the standings, and I think he was, you know, deserving in that place. Um, and it helps. He just seems to be a very, very decent guy as well. Um, Does this yeah, mean I, you're going to get one of those hats with the little chilies on the back? <laughs> a little chili hat, or one of those cool, uh, one of those cool t-shirts. t-shirts. Yeah, a cool t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Smooth operator um, t-shirt. Oh my god! Don't, <laughs> why did you remind me of that? Why was that at WTF? Yeah, I completely agree. He's been absolutely phenomenal, um, and I, I don't think we've even seen the beginning of what he's capable of yet, which is, which is very exciting. Yeah. Do you? Th- here's a question: Do you think he would have won the championship if he'd been in a Mercedes? Which one? <laughs> even the Sadie. If he was in Bottas's seat, no chance. If he was in Hamilton's seat, maybe. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, up against yeah. Hamilton at Mercedes, I don't. Yeah, I think, but I think it would have been closer. Do you, here's a good question. Then, do you think is he? Oh, hang on, I've just dropped something. Um, who's better, him or Bottas? Science that's or Bottas? tricky. I think it would probably be close between the two of them. I think mm. honestly, I think I think science. I think science is the best. Yeah, player. on his on his current previous guys, oh, I'd say Bottas over science. Like old science versus old Bottas, Bottas. But on yeah. current form, science. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. I'd say science as well. I think science is a better driver. Right there. Um, I just really hope that McLaren can. Give them Give another them the car. car they can, yeah, go out there and shake things yeah, up I, with. I, I, I've got faith. I think I, I do think they'll be um, they'll be nicking a few podiums next season. I really do. I do too. 
I hope we're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, and that pretty much concludes our 2019 awards. We can uh, put a pin in 2019 finally. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. before we do that, there's there's a glaring omission from this list of um, possible awards. Oh yeah. Um, we've not nominated our favourite race of the season. Well, I mean, apparently Germany was race of the decade, let alone race of the year. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure about that myself. But no, it wasn't. That's what happens when you ask fans questions, isn't it? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Bye, listeners. <laughs> um, personally, for me, I think I enjoyed Brazil more than I enjoyed Germany. Brazil was a race that had a bit of everything, I thought. Yeah, Brazil was a good sort of, especially towards the end of the season where a lot of things are done and dusted. It was a, it was a very entertaining race. I think Brazil tends to give us that sometimes. Like even if the season's done in terms of a championship, Brazil still seems to be able to bring out a good race. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. a great it, track. It, it, it's, it's almost like that. That if you could encapsulate the entire season in one race, I think Brazil is is exactly that. Yeah, You've got yeah. Ferraris crashing into each other and, and failing all <laughs> over the shop. You've got, which has been absolutely a theme this season. You've got just carnage at, at certain points of the race. You've got amazing race restarts. You've got fast Red Bulls. It, yeah, it was just absolutely brilliant. The only sort of thing that was like kind of like a bit weird about it was actually the mistake from Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton made a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Don't ever see, really. The all season, he hadn't made any mistakes. And then that one, he, he did. So yeah, it, I think you're right there about Brazil. I think Brazil probably would be the race this year. Great Britain was great as well, but um, we, and that's not a bias. That's not because I was there. That's not because I'm British. <laughs> because it, it, it was a cracking race to yeah. watch. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I'd have to give my favourite of the season to Brazil too. We're agreeing a lot here. Is this how this? Yeah, agree. This is going to be not <laughs> an ex- not great content. We need to start disagreeing. I, I think Brazil was rubbish. There you go. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling the China show. Just <laughs> um, let's quickly cover a bit of news that's happened over the uh, winter break. Um, there were a couple of drivers got some nice Christmas presents. Um, Leclerc and Verstappen both signed fairly extensive new contracts. Uh, five years for Leclerc, which takes him up to the end of the 2024 season. And four years for Verstappen, uh, end of 2023. It's worth saying they're both quite likely to have performance clauses in them. So if uh, the team doesn't reach a certain performance level, they'll be able to wriggle out of it. But even so, they are two of the longest contracts I remember in F1 for a long time, especially for drivers in top teams. Hefty contracts, Mm. those. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess let's start with Ferrari. Uh, where where does that kind of leave Vettel and Ferrari in that situation? Because it's it's very much Ferrari saying Charles Leclerc is our future, isn't it? Yeah, so they're putting a ring on it for sure, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, after last season, I kind of don't blame them though. To be honest, no. Like as good as Vettel has been and and still is on his day, I think that we've seen Leclerc just outdo him and a lot more mistakes that you wouldn't expect from Vettel. And I know I said it a couple of times during the season and we've talked about it before, but I just think that Vettel's head's not like 100% or his heart maybe is not 100% in F1 anymore. Um, 
and it, it's maybe the, those kind of feelings that mean that he's not performing to his best. And I'd, I, honestly, I don't think we'll see him around too much longer, just based on that he he'll go on his of his own choice. I think. Yeah, mm. I, I I still think that Ferrari doesn't suit Vettel. I don't think it ever mm. has. I think the number no. of mistakes, the driver of his standards, he never made those kind of mistakes at Red Bull. So why is he suddenly making those? You don't just suddenly overnight become like a mistake-prone driver. Like there has to be something to do with that car that just doesn't suit him. Yeah, so I, I, I think if I mean, there's no, he's not going to go back to Red Bull because Verstappen's king of the hill there. Yep, Mercedes, no chance. Not while Lewis is there. No. Yeah, especially not while Lewis is there. His best hope is for Lewis Hamilton to retire and then him go to Mercedes. Mm. Like, because Mercedes would probably love to put a German driver in a German car and go and win a title with them. So he's not like, I don't think he's, he, he wouldn't get a seat at Mercedes. It's just that while ever Lewis is there, he won't. I no. think that's, that's that. There I, is I something, there's, there is a sort of beautiful symmetry to a, to a, a driver being in a team is, that is off their sort of homeland, isn't there? Do you find that? It doesn't happen that often, really, does it? No, it doesn't. That's no. what I mean. Yeah. That's like, why McLaren and Hamilton was such a, a, a exciting thing to see back in the day because yeah. even though they only won one championship together, it's just being, I guess it, maybe the bias is I am a Brit and being a Brit and seeing a British driver win for a British team sort of brings out the Brexiteer in, 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 in you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's the same applies to like Ferrari, though. Like the, you know, the Ferrari team and fans l- absolutely love to get an Italian in that car when it's possible. It's just that they've not really had all that much luck with them and, and so they don't always get that opportunity. But imagine what, like the Tifosi are, are obsessed anyway, but imagine what they'd be like if they had a driver of like Leclerc's calibre that was Italian in that car. They, they'd be on another level. They'd lose get it. Giovinazzi. Get Giovinazzi in there. Yeah. Can we say he's on a Leclerc level? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because you have to be like, come on, guys, like, I mean, I'm Italian, just come and get me. This is what everybody <laughs> wants. But <laughs> yeah, I do, I do like that combination, though, like you say, Stu. Oh, definitely. I think that's why I'm drawn to see Norris do well at McLaren, Russell do well at Williams if, if the car ever comes good. Like, I like those kind of that symmetry, like, as you put it, between yeah. driver and team, it's nice to see. And I don't know. There's no logic to it. Like as, no. a, as a as a Formula One fan, I'm quite. I have quite international tastes. I'd say. Like I'm not. I'm. I wouldn't. I'm certainly not a particularly patriotic person. Like I'm not that bothered about sort of. I don't. I don't feel necessarily as an individual like I. You know, I'm of a particular country. It's just. It's more, and maybe it's an OCD thing. I don't know. It's just something. There's something yeah. really neat <laughs> and tidy. Does that to you though. Yeah, there's something really neat and tidy <laughs> about. A person being from the same place as the team they're from that kind of matches up nicely is weird. <laughs> it's, I don't get it. What Stu was saying is he doesn't like having to hear two national anthems on the podium, and he'd just like everyone to line up together. <laughs> so we just got one for team and because <laughs> yeah, just to get through the whole thing a bit quicker. <laughs> um, going on to Red Bull and Verstappen, that's an interesting one as well because. Red Bull and Honda haven't really committed themselves to Formula One that long term. In fact, like Verstappen's contract there is kind of the longest term thing we have now with them, which 
it, it kind of makes it sound like Red Bull and Honda are both in it for, you know, a, a chunk of time longer. They, yeah. I mean, Red Bull love to threaten to uh, to leave from time to time. And Honda, as we know, um, as I know from reading Nick Fry's book, in fact, uh, having <laughs> them to just bounce at a moment's notice. But I think it bodes well for them sticking around. Yeah, it shows it's a definite sign of commitment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, even if they, um, even if they weren't stick around, I think I'm, I'm sure he'll have clauses in that anyway. That, oh, of course, that, that would protect him from his side about if they did decide to leave the sport for any reason. But I think a contract like that, like you say, is kind of a, a non. It's a dead giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, non like yeah. direct committal to the sport. It it sort of surprised me when the Verstappen was announced because. Because I think his previous contract ran to the end of this coming season, didn't it? Um, yes. And he, you know, if he waited to the end of this season, he could basically have picked whatever seat he wanted in Formula One and anyone would have had him. But up to a point, up to a point, I, I don't think anyone would have had him. I think if he came knocking, you'd, you'd give it some serious consideration, whoever you are. Think about it, but I, I think that you, when, uh, what I'm saying is like if, if Hamilton decided to stay at Mercedes, for the foreseeable future, then he's not going to be letting Verstappen into that team. No way on earth. Yeah, and this is exactly why we sort of said we weren't surprised I went with Bottas over Ocon, isn't it? Like, they don't want a feisty driver in the other seat. They want someone yeah. who's going to play the team game sort of thing. Um, but as I think you pointed out at the time, Tom, like, it does mean he continues with a team that is essentially built around him at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've, got, they've got an eye on the championship next season Red Bull I think so, I think they could really surprise a lot of people next season um, I hope I'm very so. excited to see how they go in winter testing I seriously think there's like a strong possibility of like a six way fight for the championship <sighs> through a no. long way through the season Don't I hon- honestly think that um, <laughs> we, we need to clip you right saying that for when Hamilton goes on and wins like 10 on the bounce <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, he's, no. He's, we get we get to the summer break and he's pretty much won it already. Like, Stu, do you remember saying this? Okay. <laughs> you mean like last year? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it, who's who's uh, who are the winners and losers in this then? Outside of sort of the big, the big names, um, I would say one of the biggest winners potentially is George Russell because. He now, if if Hamilton decides to go in the next four years, which is very possible, Russell's kind of got a direct uh, step up to that Mercedes seat now. Like, I don't think there's anyone ahead of him in the queue, really, is there now for Mercedes? Well, maybe Lando Norris is sort of side by side with him in that queue, I'd say, because he's recently gone over to Mercedes management, hasn't he? Yeah, supposedly with the new engine deal. So I guess it's good for both of them potentially. Um, it's, I mean, it's obviously good for Chloe and Verstappen. Um, Did you see Lando Norris and George Russell both at Mercedes at the same time? It would be very interesting. Clean sweep of drivers. Like they both, they think, you know, Bottas has not given us the goods he never has against Hamilton. And it's like two years down the line. Hamilton decides to retire. They've already, maybe they've already like gotten rid of, you know, maybe they've already signed the deal for George Russell to come on board or to, for Lando Norris to come on board. That seat becomes available. 
because Hamilton's surprised. This is, this is literally crystal ball stuff. Hamilton <laughs> re- resigned or, or finished or retired, I should say. So they've suddenly found themselves, oh, no, we've got a good car, but no one to sit in it. Let's have George yeah, Russell They don't have well. anymore. Yeah, Ocon's happy at Mercedes. They don't have Ocon anymore anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, he's he's basically Renault's... Renault get first refusal in there, don't they? Yeah, sorry, did I say I meant Renault? I'll <laughs> Renault. It's fine, we're a bit rusty. We are very rusty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, of course, there is a possibility that Red Bull make a dog of a car next year and Verstappen uses his get-out claws and disappears off somewhere else. But as you say, Stu, like, I really think Red Bull are going to surprise people next year. Would it be that much of a surprise, though? You say that, but... Not now we've said it a bunch of times, I guess. <laughs> Not it just it, it just feels right that they should be doing that. That that's the next logical step for them is to push for yeah, basically push for wins outside of the. This is a bit of a Red Bull circuit kind of wins. So like there's certain ones on the calendar where every single season we come round to it. Like this is a bit of a Red Bull circuit. I wouldn't be surprised to see Max get pole or you know like get a sneaky win. What they need to be doing is checking those off as like five guaranteed wins through the season and looking to push it to near a ten overall. That's what Red that's what Red Bull's aim should be for me next season is try and win at circuits outside of those where they're notoriously comfortable. Yeah. I mean, last year they won at circuits, they didn't really have much business winning at, True. But then True. they also True. didn't win at circuits they should have won at. So if I can put both of those things together, that could be a, yeah. Yeah, onto a good thing. I, I, yeah, based on that, I absolutely. I, I'll say it one more time: they're they're going to be in the mix next season. There we go. Yeah. Um. So a few other bits of news. Uh, w Series. It's been announced that uh, W Series is going to be the support race for the USA and Mexico F1 races this year. Um, which will make up the last two races of an eight race W Series calendar, which is quite a bit bigger than the calendar they did last year, but. The fact that they're going to be an F1 support series in only their second season is crazy impressive. Like, that's something I thought they'd maybe build to over a course of, you know, four or five years or something. But to happen that quickly is, is damn impressive. It's, uh, yeah, so that's what's really, really good for them. Um, I wonder if they'll do reverse championship grid races for, for those to show it off a bit more. Oh, yeah, for a nice, exciting finale. Yeah, that'd be exciting. If they're, I mean, if they're using the full size tracks, which I assume they are, then they're both pretty decent tracks for racing anyway. So that's in their favour at least. Yeah, it's good for it to be in the the window of that larger audience as well. To be honest, like as much as it got good exposure during its first season, I think that being in the shop window of the F1 fan base is going to be nothing but good for it. Realistically, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, you've only got to look at like. The graduates to F1 over the last few years are pretty much entirely F2 and F3 drivers. So yeah. it shows that being there in front of teams uh, has an impact. Um, but yeah, very good news for them. Would the, would the aim with W Series, is that obviously that must be for, but they're a Euro F3 car, right? A, a uh, w yes, car. the equivalent of, yeah. So what is it? The idea is you get into a, a, a F3. Formula Three World Championship. I suppose it's not called a World, Form- world Championship. It's Formula Three, but like uh, yeah. you know, on the proper Formula Three calendar or an F two calendar. I would, I would think a step from W Series straight to F two would probably be the hope. 
Um, yeah, it seems feasible. Yeah, totally does. Yeah, it's it's, it's exciting stuff. Um, it's it's moving a lot faster than I think a lot of people expect it to. So, fingers crossed for everyone involved. Um, it, it wouldn't be a, a regular news segment without a new layout for the Miami Grand Prix, and we've got one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> have you seen the latest layout? Of, uh, Ooh, I'm looking at you. it now. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. <laughs> Hard it's... Rock Stadium F1 circuit. Yeah, it's <laughs> fairly similar to the most recent one, um, with a few tweaks. Um, the always brilliant uh, Jimmy Broadbent on YouTube uh, put a video up a couple of days ago. Uh, someone has, as they always do, already made this track for. I think it might have been our factory was driving it in. I can't remember exactly. Um, and he drove yeah. a few laps of that. And it looks fine. It just looks like <laughs> a very standard modern era Formula One track in that couple of massive straights with tight corners at the end, some yeah. Mickey Mouse twisty sections. It, it just sort of looks fine, but nothing more than that to me. Yeah. It, it is a race around a car park around a NFL stadium. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. For, for a race around an NFL car park, it's not too bad. I don't hate it. I certainly don't hate it. I think it looks... It does look interesting. That big, long straight, and then obviously there's a whole... Like, the the top of this image, where there's just a, literally a long, long, probably, what, one and a half kilometer straight, and then down below it is... That's basically straight as well, isn't it? To a Formula One to car, a Formula like, One car, yeah. There's yeah. not enough. There's no real lift point in that bottom, bottom side of the track. It's quite um, Azerbaijan, actually, that bottom section. Yeah, it is. Um, the interesting, the most interesting sort of part of it for me is probably the the bit of the bottom, the bit underneath the stadium. You go down that big, big. I, I think that's a. Is that a left hander leading up to, a, and then a chicane, like a bus stop chicane before. The home straight. Which uh, way around do they yes. go? Anti clockwise. No, is it anti clockwise? No, it's a clockwise circuit. It's clockwise. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, for it to be clockwise, then yeah. So like the the section before the big bend that that's just before the bus stop chicken at the end of yeah. the track. That looks the the little S's sort of bit. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that looks quite fun. So um, if, you, if you can if you can get up close to them, if you can be quicker through there and get a bit of a run on them down the following straight and bend, then you might be able to get them into the bus stop. The the sort of alarm bells for me with this, um, Tom Garfinkel, who is the vice chairman, president, and CEO of Miami Dolphins and the Hard Rock Stadium, who's also the guy who's doing kind of most of the work to get this race off the ground, uh, tweeted uh, a link to this. Um, and said uh, blah 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 marketing stuff uh, see the new track below world class racing without using 199th street and no racing during school hours and I'd say if two of the um, design points of your circuit are it avoids this road and it doesn't upset schools is that maybe not the best things to be looking <laughs> at top of the list when designing a racetrack wow um, yeah. yeah well for, for those racing on it definitely not <laughs> But for, I'm sure the town planners will be happy. Well, happy that's the thing. It's clearly the only way they're going to get this off the ground is to tick yeah. those boxes. That's absurd. Um, but there we go. I'm sure we'll get um, like 17 more layouts be- between now and the race happening. And then, if it ever yeah. happens. And then it'll run for one year and the local residents will all protest and it'll never happen again. Pretty much, yes. Um, 
Another track with a new layout is uh, the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard this year. Um, is getting a new layout because obviously Paul Ricard has about <clears throat> a thousand different layouts. <laughs> um, they are keeping the chicane in the middle of the Mistral Strait, which is a bit of a shame because most people, the drivers included, want rid of that, but that's staying. <clears throat> uh, they're basically making changes to the uh, first sector, um, which uh, which new managing director of the race, Eric Boulier, which is a name you may remember. Oh, that's a name um, we all I remember. remember that well. name. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said the new changes should make a new overtaking opportunity, make the lap faster, and encourage teams to run a lower downforce setup. And it's that last bit that I think is probably the best. Like, if you can yes. make the teams want to run lower downforce, it makes the rest of the track that much trickier, doesn't it? That's what we said before, wasn't it? That, that the, my, I remember we said the aim of getting rid of the uh, chicane would mean that you'd have to run lower downforce because yeah. you need all that straight line speed. So yeah, if they're encouraging that, then I am all for that. I think they're probably just afraid that if they take that chicane out, there will be no overtaking, which is entirely possible, I guess, because that's where the bulk of it happened the last couple of years. Doesn't that just show you how unfit of a circuit is for racing though and how little faith they've got in this new overtaking opportunity they're supposedly creating yeah yeah like, yeah it is it is primarily a circuit designed for testing it's designed to test certain things of a single car on track just to run aero tests and so on it's not designed for racing really is it anymore yeah, it's never built for it yeah mm. But there we go. They like it's funny. it's funny. People will probably ask, like, what is it about a track that makes it designed for racing as opposed to designed for testing? So we should probably like talk about what what the difference is between those two things. Like, what... yeah, I mean, I guess the, the thing with Paul Ricard is we could, the reason it's got like all these different layouts is because it's basically got a version of every kind of corner in the world you could think of somewhere in that giant expanse of tarmac so they can like build different routes that use different corners and chain different corners together and have different types of corner on one layout for setup testing things like that um yeah. which again is great for testing but when you're building a race circuit you want series of corners that encourage cars to be close to each other and corners that allow yeah. overtaking and i don't think any of paul ricard was really designed to have these different types of corner necessarily in the layout yeah. that encourages that so, so a good comparison then between the two probably let's think of a track that has lots of overtaking at like this year silverstone was a good example this year there's a lot quite a lot of overtaking at silverstone which traditionally wasn't a great overtaking track but yeah this no, season but... just gone there was a ton of overtaking there um yeah and i guess it's 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 sequences of corners that allow the cars to get it's big stops isn't it really and and wide 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 lanes that allow the the cars to yeah. run together and Paul Ricard doesn't really have many big stops other than no. the, the, the chicane down the down the straight yeah the problem that you find is that you've got the chicane down the back straight and possibly into turn one and two but they're they're quite tight and narrow turn one and two so you you they're the only place where you can really get a run on someone because the rest of it is technical twists which is why it's a good testing circuit because they can put the cars to the limits through those kind of corners but that doesn't obviously bode well for overtaking because 
it is difficult to follow or get alongside and then pass someone in those scenarios as well. Exactly, yeah. And I Especially think in these cars as well. Yeah, yeah, and another important thing with aero cars is places like Silverstone, in the areas you get overtaken, you tend to have slow speed complexes leading onto straights, which means the cars can stay close together without the aero affecting them. Whereas, like, you look at the, the big back straights, at poor Ricard, you've got a nice big fast uh, wide radius corner which basically means a following car is just gonna wash out because i've got no downforce um, yeah so yeah i mean hey i'm open to these changes uh turning that place around and just having a barnstorm of a race there but um which, which bits are they have you got an, a specifics of which bits they're using differently they haven't said all. specifically but it's basically turn i think turn one staying the same but the kind of three uh two to four or two to five sort of complex they're taking a slightly different route yeah yeah that's, that's said correct. specifically what the route's going to be as far as i'm aware right okay and uh, next uh pat fry is joining renault this week as their new chassis technical director which is not a job title oh <laughs> <laughs> um you've probably heard of pat fry's name before he was best known for his big old stint at McLaren uh, between 93 and 2010. He was race engineer for Hacken and Coulthard for a while. Then he was chief engineer from 2002 onwards. Um, he's been at Benetton, Ferrari, and also Manor before they disappeared in the past. Uh, and then most recently, he was sort of a, a temporary technical director at McLaren again while they were waiting for Toro Rosso to let them have James Key. Um, but he's now kind of out of his gardening leave from McLaren uh, and he's actually finally joining Renault, which has been rumoured for some time. Um, I've I mean, got Pat clean... mixed up with someone else just now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I want to know who now. Uh, the bloke who just left Williams. Well, who left Williams last season. Paddy? Paddy, Paddy Lowe. Oh, Paddy Lowe. Lowe. They both he's... begin with a P. Yeah, he sort of disappeared <laughs> the ether, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, Pat Froy is obviously a very talented guy with this sort of Yeah, thing. he is really um, talented. He's really, really good. Like the cars he led at McLaren um, were, although they weren't championship winning cars at that time, they were still kind of, if not class of the field, very close to it. Um, and it's probably something Renault need. Um, then again, Renault probably need gains in all areas at this point, don't they? So it's not like there's a silver bullet for them. Definitely not. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, the silver bullet is going to be 2021, I think, for Renault. I, you know, I can't see them. This is obviously a move that's not going to take effect until the 2021 car anyway. Um, I, do you even think Pat Fry's going to look at the 2020 car? Probably not. Yeah. yeah I mean, Unless they're in absolute dire straits early doors in the season, yeah. he'll probably dip a toe and be like, okay, here's some stuff we can do. But for the most part, I think for sure he's going to be looking to the future, isn't he? He's not going to be interested in 2020. Yeah, definitely. Which we've been, I mean, we've been saying for probably a couple of seasons now, like 2021 is what Renault are aiming towards. So, yeah. At least they're making sense. positive steps towards it, though, because obviously. First and foremost, getting a driver like Daniel Ricciardo in your books is a good move. But then yep. bringing someone like Pat Fry in to work towards that next generation of car is, again, it's positive as long as it all drops into place. It it strikes me a little bit of um, the rebuilding that McLaren did over the last two or three years, mm. where they like essentially clean clean shop and started again and brought new faces in in all areas. And look at where they are now. 
Yeah, so, very much so. You know what I mean? Fingers crossed for Renault in that respect that it works in a similar way for them. It's kind of big headline hires, isn't it? Which yeah, hopefully will uh, pay off for them. Um, there's also some new hires at Williams, which I would not describe as uh, big headline hires, but but there we go. They're, they're all the same. Uh, the guy called David Warner is joining as uh, chief designer at Williams. Uh, he's coming from Red Bull, where he's been since they existed as Jaguar. So he's been at Red Bull for a very, very long wow. time. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. That's actually quite a big hire. Yeah. yeah. It's, he's, it's, to be a chief, well, I, I, I don't know what exact role he had at Red Bull, but to be a designer at Red Bull for that amount of time, he's clearly uh, clearly knows what he's seen, doing. Yeah, he's seen some stuff. Yeah, working with Adrian <laughs> Newey and stuff. Um, so that's you don't know what I've seen, man. You don't know what I've seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stuff they do in that place. <laughs> Um, but yeah, potentially a, a big hire that for Williams. Uh, and then his uh, deputy designer is going to be a guy called Jonathan mm-hmm. Carter, who's coming from Renault, uh, where he has been head of composite design for four years. Um, and he's been in a couple of other teams before that. Um, again, hires that aren't going to have much effect this season, but we'll probably be looking at 2021 forward. Uh, but again, it's good to see Williams filling these roles and bringing in people from other successful teams. We can so only hope. We must be forward. seeing like the start of the sort of, I guess, team silly season. We have driver silly season. And now everyone's just about got all their uh, 2020 cars sorted out. Everyone's going to yeah. be looking at who they can get in early doors. Well, they've probably already been loads of, you know, chopping and changing behind the scenes. Seems that just doesn't even get reported. But yeah. Um, yeah, I imagine it's going to be silly season for the teams this early part of the season as people move around and contracts end and everyone's going to be wanting to get like the best person they can for that 2021 car. Now the real focus yeah. is going to fully, fully shift onto that car for everyone from really now, yeah. isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Because wasn't it fairly early last season when all of the James Key rumours started? And yeah, I think I sent him off on gardening leave. Yeah. I think a lot of moves are going to happen sort of around this time and then people are either going to see out a season with whoever they're with or they're going to end up on gardening leave yeah. this season. There um, could be a lot yeah. of gardening done in the second half of this year. Yeah, yeah they, they really could be, you know. They absolutely could be. Um, all the cars are basically done now. They're just putting them all together, you'd have thought. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the designs is going to be in-season design, isn't it? So your big teams are going to be developing heavily in-season, obviously, to to see if they can seal the win. And yeah. hopefully, you know, we'll see a really, really tight fight at the top. But um, your smaller teams, you're probably going to get... It's a good opportunity. If, you, if you're someone like a David Warner who's always, you know, been sort of lurking in the shadows of, uh, <laughs> of, of Adrian Newey, <laughs> It is a good opportunity for someone like that to come to a team like Williams and really, really make a difference. You know, like yeah. Aero is a huge deal still in Formula One. It's an even bigger deal getting the Aero right for 2021. And who better to do it than one of Adrian Newey's acolytes? It's, it's a great exactly. idea. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you've seen so many times over the last decade, pretty much, like whenever there's a chance to hire someone that's worked in his vicinity, like everyone tries to snap them up straight away. I mean, yeah, well, look sense. at McLaren. McLaren got Peter Promadue, didn't he? And, yeah, exactly. Um, and now they're basically best of the rest a couple of years later. It takes time, obviously, for, for the person to come in and make an impact and they need time to be able to do that and to sort of assemble the team around them. But it's you can see it's worked at McLaren. Exactly, so, yeah. 
we could see Williams sort of moving through the field by 2021. Let's hope so, because it's a damn shame to see them where they are at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that about wraps up uh, us catching up on news. Um, and then the next big thing is going to be launch dates, which we are oh so close to. We're, we're mere days Ooh. from the, the launch dates. Um, unusually, Ferrari are currently scheduled to be the first launch on the 11th of Feb. Um, followed by Renault the next day, McLaren the day after that. Uh, Alpha Tori and Mercedes have very nicely picked Valentine's Day to launch their cars. Um, <laughs> as right. the current calendar doesn't ruin relationships enough. Um, then a few days later, we have Racing Point on the 17th, and then Haas and Alfa Romeo are going to be launching from the pit lane in Barcelona on the first day of testing, which is the 19th of Feb. Um, we're still missing a couple of teams from there, but normally by this point, any missing teams will just turn up in the pit lane with the cars. So that's what we can expect, I imagine. Um, as for testing, as I say, that's 19th of Feb to the 21st for the first test and the 26th to the 28th for the second test. It's all in uh, Catalonia again this year. No, uh, no Bahrain test, which is a shame. I always like to see them testing at a couple of different circuits just so you get a slightly broader idea of yeah. where they are, but you know, money though, isn't it money? And they just don't want to travel too far, do they? It, well, it's, I mean, it's bad for the environment for them to travel so far as well when they don't need to, yeah. like, they can just throw it all on, on the wagons and drive it over to, um, Catalonia. When they need to, yeah. To. I think one of the things, the factors as well is like you say that, you know, if they, if they want to make minor changes or bring out something additional to what they've initially taken out there, or like take something you want to take something back for between tests to then bring it back out. It's it's a lot easier for just about every team to get in and out of Barcelona quickly because it's fairly central compared to where everyone's based. Like you've obviously got most teams are based here in the UK, and you've got like Ferrari in Italy. You've got Alfa Tori in Italy. Um, are Alfa Romeo officially in Switzerland? Uh, yeah, Switzerland. yeah. They're still in Switzerland. So, like, but generally speaking, it's quite central for everyone to get things in and out of there relatively exactly, easy. Yeah. So, it does kind of make sense to keep it all there, I guess. Yeah. So it's only really Haas who are in the USA, isn't it? Yeah. And even they're not most of their mm-hmm. stuff pre season, nothing happens in the UK. They sort of speak yeah. between the two, I think. Um, I mean, I guess Silverstone would be the other choice, but Silverstone <laughs> in February is just going to be a no go, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be yeah. like covered in snow. So yeah, um, wasn't it last season? Like I think I want to say it was Giovinazzi when he flew out to the second day of testing. He had some like end plates in his luggage or something. Like they literally just had someone travelling from the airport to the circuit with <laughs> some new bits of car with them. Like that's how quickly they turn around in testing. Yeah, you got to. That's how you do it. Exactly. Um, and that about wraps that up, which uh, moves us on to a bit of inbox. I can go if you if I can go first. Fire away. I haven't read any of these, so it might take me some time. Um, Wesley <laughs> Paul says, I have noticed that Joss Verstappen is at every race. I've read up on him a little, and it makes me wonder in what way does his presence influence Max's racing? Where would Max be today if he didn't have that presence in the paddock? Is Max allowed to be Max? Ooh, that one's from Wesley Paul. Ooh, that's very interesting one yeah it's do you know what? I, I, it's weird that this comes up because me and my dad were we were re-watching drive to survive over the holidays um and 
we were talking about this because there's the the episode in Drive to Survive where um, it's the one about the Spaniards and it's the science versus Alonso thing. So you see, you like you see a lot about Carlos and you see a lot about Carlos Sainz Senior. And we were talking about like the difference between the way Carlos Sainz Senior is around Junior compared to the way Yoss is around Max. Yeah, um, and I think that the the difference between the two is as from a sort of a parent point of view is more the fact that Carlos Sainz Senior, like he's there to support his son for obvious reasons, but he seems to have a, a like a profound respect for this is your sport, son. Like, I, I, you know, rallying's my thing. You want to learn like, rallying, come to me, but this is like your thing and this is what you do. So he's there to support him, but he doesn't like, he doesn't appear from an outside view anyway to like get that involved with it. And he lets Carlos do his own thing. Whereas I think Yoss is almost living out his old F1 dreams through Max to a degree because he's always there. He's always in the garage. He always he always seems to be involved. And it feels like because his career never came to a huge amount in F1, he's almost like reliving that experience through Max. I know that might seem harsh or critical, well, but I feel that's what it is a little bit. Like a helicopter parent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who only laughs when he drinks the tears of his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually did an interview recently where he said, he basically said, like, he doesn't care about his own um, career. Um, and he said he's done more for Max's career than he ever did for his own. Um, and he actually said, Max was my life project. Yes. So, oh, like, oh, that is weird. Yeah, he like he he literally has just spent his entire life since the moment Max was born, like crafting him to be an F one driver and to be a world champion. Like in his own words, it was his life project. Um, yeah. yeah, some would say that's maybe a little overbearing. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit. Personally, little I'd bit. prefer a Carlos Sainz as a dad than a Jos Verstappen as a dad. But um, yeah, but there God, you go. Imagine. I mean, how would you feel if your dad said that about you? <laughs> I know, right? Mm-hmm. This, this person like a is my lifelong project. The, the, the other the thing is, though, he's, he's that used to it for the last 20-odd years that it probably doesn't make any difference to him that his dad said that. Because that's how, that's, how he's, yeah, that's how he's been living his life for the last Yeah, that's true. Years. It's never done anything different. It's like a, yeah, oh. Oh, it's made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do he'll, another one? He'll do that to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. You read it, Let's let's move away from it. Let's not. Waldron emailed to say, "Love the podcast, and on behalf of all the new F1 fans who have emerged in the wake of Drive to Survive, I want to thank you for helping um, us know more about the sport throughout the past season. I want to ask about Lance Stroll because I don't understand something. Um, his career path seems reasonably credible for someone on route to F1 with 11 wins in Euro F3 in 2016." But why would anyone want to skip ahead before they were ready? I guess my real question is, is it completely unusual for drivers to skip F2? And if he hadn't skipped F2, uh, how would he compare to the drivers in that series? Hmm. The year that he would be in F2, am I right in thinking that he probably would have been racing George Russell, etc.? Uh, potentially, depending on how they overlapped, yeah. Like his was season his would have been twenty seventeen eighteen, maybe depending yeah, on it would. Um, um, depending on how it all worked out. Latifi Leclerc, it would have been Latifi Leclerc, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yes. It would. I, honestly, I think that he would have probably still come out of it with the same sort of 
perception of him that he's, you know, he's, he can be capable on his day, but he's not. He's not a world beater, which is probably how I'd put him at the minute. Like he's not yeah. a bad driver, but he's he's very like sort of small hot flashes of like you see a little bit of something and then you don't see anything for like 10 races and then suddenly there's something and then it's gone again and it's it's very like hot cold but more cold than than hot i think <laughs> so i don't i don't think being in f2 for a season or two would have changed that though no in all honesty um and i think max verstappen proves that skipping f2 can work yeah um I will say that since they changed the super license points, you're probably less likely to see it going forward. Um, currently, F2, the top three drivers automatically get um, enough points for an F1 super license, whereas Formula 3 now, even winning the championship isn't enough. You need to have done something else as well. So I think you definitely won't see as much of people skipping F2 as you used to. Um they they made changes to basically like position F two as like you have to go through this route to get to F one, which yeah, to make it I a proper feeder series. If it's with the rebranding though, obviously from GP two to F two, and then GP three has become F three, yeah. so it's they're, they're trying to bring them all together, I guess, and unify them a little bit so that there yeah. is like almost a a pecking order of you have to kind of go through them in the right order. It's it's like football slash soccer for want of a better term like where you you know you've got to go through the divisions in order to get to the premier league yeah. so yeah like even indycar is worth less points than formula two these days wow um moving on uh next uh that's life uh, emailed in to say happy new year guys i hope you all had a good festive period of now sobered up just about uh, what will Hawkenberg do this year? Will he ever return to F1? Will Ricardo place Vettel hashtag rumor mill? And who will Max fall out with this season? Yeah. Uh, well, Hawkenberg have already talked about. Um, will Ricardo place Vettel? Do you think Ferrari would ever take Ricardo? Um, I've heard that they've spoken to him. Supposedly, yeah. I don't think Ferrari would be against the idea but i think danny's problem would with that would be walking into another red bull and max scenario like a a team with a young sort of protege this is the future kind of driver that he's going to instantly have to compete against he's instantly on the back foot before he's even started and i think his move to renault signifies that that's just not what he wants anymore um and he's, he's a lot happier where he is now so whether it'd go through or not, I don't know. But I, like, I don't see why Ferrari would be against signing him should he decide he wanted to leave Renault and become available, for example. I mean, he's kind of gone into Renault and sort of ousted the previous long-standing driver there, hasn't he? So Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely in the position to make that kind of his team. It's just whether Renault can deliver for him. That yeah. being said, Danny and Charlie as teammates would be awesome. <laughs> it would. It would. I'd like that a lot. Yeah, that would be exciting. It would be an exciting team up. I think I reckon a lot of it, what happens to um to Ricardo is gonna is gonna depend on this season and how Ocon does. I think if Ocon if if, if Ricardo hammers Ocon, then he'll 
probably have quite a high value at the end of the season and maybe put himself yeah. in a position to replace a possible retiring Vettel if Vettel has a bad another bad season. But I think I, I can't imagine. I, I just don't see it. I think I think Ferrari would probably pull another young driver up because they're they're finally waking up to the idea, especially after this season. You know, they've they've brought Leclerc in, Leclerc in, and they've never had a young driver before. They finally do have a young driver, and lo and behold, it's the best thing since sliced bread. They've just given him a what four or five year contract. Yeah. So I will not be surprised in the next couple of years to see Ferrari pull up another one of their young drivers and yeah. um, and go again down that route. Yeah. Um, and as for who Max will fall out with, him and Albon are probably due a falling out, aren't they? Yeah, at some point that'll, that'll come to a head. He's never played nice with teammates. Um, yeah, yeah. They basically stayed out of each other's way for the tail end of last season, but that can't go on forever. Yeah, but the thing is, Albon's such a nice, polite guy. It's definitely going to be Max that starts it if anyone starts oh, it. 100%. Like, he's just, and, and Albon will just try and like back out of it as politely as he can. <laughs> so, be interesting to see if it does happen. Um, David says, with the rules and regs staying largely the same, should we expect Williams to at least catch up and be on par with the back end of the field? And if they don't, where do they go from here? They can't continue being half a second off the next team, surely. Um, oh, I don't know about you two, but I, I can't see... I, I honestly don't see where they're going to... I mean, the car they had last season was aerodynamically all Inept. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was, the car was born wrong, so they, they need to put an entire new concept... And all the other teams are probably going to be, I don't imagine, other than McLaren, who've openly said that they're trying out something new next season based on, but still based on, you know, their lessons over the last few years. The difference is McLaren have a solid base and they've been building up, they've been on an upward trajectory, whereas right now, Williams, they're at rock bottom and they're going to need... they, 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 they're going to need about 20 silver bullets to get themselves even <laughs> on a par with the midfield. So I think the best you can expect from them next season is to be on the tail of the field rather than, what, a second to two seconds off of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, towards the tail end of last season, they were mixing it up at the back a little bit. Um... They needed a complete reset, that's the thing. Yeah, I think I reckon that I don't see them really moving that far forward because they're driving. They've got to come up with a whole new concept of car from the ground up. The the regulations changed last year, and they basically they haven't delivered. They aerodynamically they they have not lived up to what they needed to do. I mean, the season before they were already on the way; they were already falling back. It's gone from bad to worse. I, surely, I mean, one one thing you could say is the only way from here is up, right? Well, that's it, yeah. Um, I guess the tricky position they're in is that this year is a pretty stable set of rules from last year, but then again, it's also the last year of this rule set before a massive change. So, yeah, it's how how much do you invest in trying to close that gap? Yeah, before you start considering what you're going to do for the next generation of rules. Yeah, so it's a, it's a tricky balance to match, isn't it? 
that could yeah, play to their advantage. That could play to their advantage because if they put a lot into this car for this season, if they have done that, and if other teams are sort of more got an eye on on twenty twenty one for for the wholesale rule change, then they could find themselves somewhere further forward than what they have yeah. been in twenty nineteen. But if they do that at the cost, it would be a very short-sighted thing to do because they'd be doing that at the cost of development for 2021. And what they really need is just, you know, an absolute arrow. They need an Adrian Newey to show up and just yeah, yeah, reset things, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was a bit, bit of a rant. Bit of a rant there. Yeah, no, it is frustrating, though. They, they need a big turnaround and very much hope they, they find it. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter who the team is. Either. Like you don't want to see a team running around at the back line. No. Yeah, I'm critical because I care. I'm critical yeah. because I want to see that team doing really well. I can't bear to see that this is the team that you know. They're they're one of the most groundbreaking, amazing cars like that's ever been introduced into Formula One. Aerodynamically, as well, like back in the day, they were pioneers, and they've just gone from there to to. To the back of the grid, and it's just not where you want to see him. No, not at all. Um, Kay Mengham has asked, where do you expect the Haas team to be this season with their drop from fourth to ninth last season? Eighth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a ton of confidence in Haas. Turning mm-hmm. it around back to where they were before last season. Um I'd be interested to see. I'm I'm interested to see the next drive to survive sort of behind the scenes because since learning about Gunter Steyer's management style, and like <laughs> as much as it's very memeable and good to make jokes about, it does make me wonder if if that sort of attitude can have a negative impact on a team like that. Um, you know, just the way he sometimes seems to speak to people, like almost as though you don't normally see it all the time but sometimes it's almost like kind of forgetting that those cameras are there and and you see like that 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 small glimpse of the other side like behind the veil um like i don't know why but it really bugged me there was a joke that he made about roman not being at a meal during drive to survive um and something to do with him like not being there and it'd been a better experience because he wasn't there or something i was like how's he gonna feel when he sees that back like and that i just it just makes me wonder that's all it makes yeah. me wonder if, like, if, if you don't turn it around, is he going to be in for the chop? Should have gone to the meal, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turns down a meal. <laughs> turns down a meal. Yeah. A, man who wrote, a man who wrote his own cookbook, that's who. <laughs> Did you see that? That Robert yeah. Cook's got a cookbook. He does everything, doesn't he? He builds models, he writes cookbooks. <laughs> He's got a YouTube channel. He's got a YouTube channel? What? Yeah. Oh, I need this. I need this in my life. That's my yeah, evening sword. Vlogs. That's, I'm, I'm watching some Roman Grosjean vlogs after this. That's where <laughs> I'm going. Totally going to that. Um, I had a really good point. Oh, tires. Yeah, tires. Haas. And actually, this ties into Stephen Barlow's comment, which was, um, can Haas get on top of tires? Now they seem to be keeping 2018 tires for next season. I think it needs to be 19 tires. Um, yeah. It, Probably for, not. For Haas, it's tires. For Haas, they need to get on top of that that's what's sort of stopped them you know they had flashes of brilliance all season 
there were times when they were really, 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 really high up the field over over a single lap, but they just could not get that car. Had no idea why <laughs> into the window, yeah. and they couldn't figure out why. Yeah, and they've hopefully, you know, you don't see this. You'd never, you'd never, they've never admitted that they've never one hundred percent admitted that they don't know why the car is behaving the way it is, but. Obviously, if they did, they would have figured it out through the season, and they would have somehow got a bit more tire life out of it. the The good news for them is that, yeah, they are we are keeping the same tires for this season, more or less, and they have a whole other twenty one races, twenty two races to figure them out. So, hopefully, they will. And if they, I think, if they can do that, if they can make a car that make make an entirely new chassis obviously if they make one that doesn't munch through its tires then i reckon they could be there or thereabouts yeah it was the tires that were clearly an issue for them over the course of the season really wasn't it um yeah yeah, and like you say if they can get on top of that then hopefully they'll return to fighting in that midfield like what they were previously so also i suppose it depends on what ferrari do and don't sell them again (laughs) and what they decide to buy and what they decide to do themselves so yeah uh, next, Mitchell Herrera says, with Alex Albon performing well above people's expectations at Red Bull, for example, matching Max's qualifying times on a few occasions, with only a few months of experience, do you expect Alex to be a real challenge for Max, or do you think Alex will fall into that second driver role? Um, I think he's got the potential, but I also think that he'd be wise to not, like... <laughs> Like overstep the mark or or whatever you'd however you'd like to put it and like try and yeah trying to assert himself too too soon. Um like I think he just needs to carry on doing what he was doing, get the results, keep his performances consistent and like he will be, he will get the respect of being uh, the quality driver that he appears to be in F1. And and that will probably lead to him getting a fair few podiums and maybe even a few top steps next season i think yeah he's he's still very young he doesn't need to go in there all guns blazing this early on um no i think another factor is if he did start performing at max's level whether red bull would allow them to be fighting each other for positions like red bull have traditionally at least on the face of it let their drivers race and that has burned them so many times over the years yeah um i wonder if they'd start pulling some ferrari we'll just give you this strategy which means we know any of your teammates sort of, uh, move. yeah 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 i um I, I can't see i hate to say it but i can't see albon matching um matching matching Max until at least probably halfway through the season. I think he still needs time to... I think that car, you know, next season's car, it's made for Max. It's not made for Alex. So exactly. whatever whatever happens, he's, he's already he's setting out at a disadvantage straight away. Um, it's, if, he, if he does well enough next season and the season after, if, if he can, you know, if he can get on to his times, let's not forget, you know, he was never really more than sort of... He was always at least a couple of attempts down in qualifying mm. when they were sort of on a level playing field um he's got some alex has got some work to do still in that team he's been, he had a great he's yeah. had a great season um he has a great half a season at red bull but you know 
next season he's really, really got to dig deep and do the business because he's up against a future world champion, no doubt about it. The honeymoon's sort of over now, isn't it, for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got to now maintain that performance level that we saw from him towards the end of the season last season. Yeah. He's, he's, he's never going to prove he can main it, maintain it for like the whole year now. Yeah, he's got to do better than that. He's got to maintain it, and then he's got to keep improving. That's what he's got to do. Yeah, if, and exactly. if he can't do that, yeah. then then it'll be you know he he won't last very long if he can't do that. But I th- I've got faith in him. I think he will. I think he will do it. I think he'll get close. Uh, he'll at least get close to him. And yeah. you know, Max. Let's not forget Max. You know, he's he's not always been the golden boy in that team. Like it, there have been times there've been rumblings, especially I think what was it twenty. 20- Around Monaco time, start of this 2017 and 2016, there were he was making a lot of mistakes and he had to do a whole reset to get himself yeah. back in the frame. Um, it was when he was with Ricardo, so it would have been 2017. And yeah, you know, it can go wrong. Max Verstappen is not invincible; like he's beatable. He's absolutely beatable. Um, we still see flashes of him losing his head from time to time like he's been a yeah. lot more mature in the last 12 months but we definitely see flashes of that yeah. it's, it's not a, he is not he's absolutely not invincible I'll say it again no he's no, not a package for sure yeah um, Charlotte Taylor says with Charles with Charles signing we've already sort of done this one. I should have blended it into the others but I'll, we'll, we'll read it out um, Charlotte Taylor says will Charles with Charles Signing a five-year deal, do you think Lewis to Ferrari is still a possibility? We did cover it, but just to sort of reiterate my answer to that, one-word answer, no. (laughs) I think if Seb retires at the end of next season, which is coincidentally when Hamilton's current contract runs out, I think there's a chance he'll feel the lure of the red car like every F1 driver does and maybe go there for a couple of years. But... I also think, given that the 2021 rules potentially will suit Seb way more than the current rules, I think Seb would be mad not to stick around for at least one more year to see how that new rule set um, treats him. So, all that being said, I think we're probably seeing Seb and Lewis in their last teams in F1. Yeah, I think they're both... More than likely, see out the contract, uh, see out the careers where they are. Yeah, uh, and that wraps us up for this week. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Um, we will podcast as and when there's stuff to podcast about between now and the car launches. Um, once the car launches uh, start, we'll be very much back in the thick of it because I don't know about you, but like car launches is one of my favorite times of the whole season. Yeah, I um, cannot wait to rank some liveries. Oh, That's my thing. It. Cannot wait. <laughs> um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, let's see if I remember all this. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Back of the Grid, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Just search Back of the Grid and you'll find us. Uh, our website is backofthegrid.com where um, you can fill in a contact us form. And I think that's it, isn't it? Is that all the things? That sounds like all the things. That's all the things. That's all the cool. things. Um, Yes, so thank you very much for joining us, uh, and we will speak to you again soon. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks, bye.